everyone, welcome back. My name is Yumei Chang and I'm the founder of Life is Love School, where we teach adult survivors of childhood trauma essential skills to live a happier and healthier life. Today's topic is understanding the dismissive avoidant partner. I recently did an episode on how to soothe the anxious attachment style and several of you asked me to do a video about the avoidant attachment style. So this is the one. If you find yourself in a relationship with an avoidant partner, it can feel very frustrating because what the anxious attached person needs is more closeness. And that's exactly what the avoidant seems to not need. But I think that's an oversimplification of it. And I think there's also a lot of misunderstanding of the avoidance. So I hope today's video will share some insights because in order to have a relationship with any person for that matter, you have to come from a place of understanding, understanding that their worldview and yours and their background and yours may be different. And by understanding your partner at a deeper level, you stand a much better chance to actually build that connection, which seems so untenable right now, but it is possible. It's going to take a little bit of work, but if you understand them, you have a much better chance at having a better communication. So, Let's roll the tape back all the way to when the avoidant attachment person was little. So famous psychologist Mary Ainsworth did the study in 1970s. It's called the strange situation test. What she essentially did was she put babies in a room. So the baby and the mom is in the room. And then at a certain point in time, she asked the mother to leave the room. Now, most babies would feel a little anxious. You're alarmed that the mom is gone and they're in a strange lab by themselves. So she also pegged electronics on the babies to measure their heart rate, their blood pressure, etc., different biometrics. And not very surprisingly, all the babies exhibited signs of anxiety and, and fear, right? They're stressed out. But when the mom returned, the babies behaved very differently. And she observed that they roughly fall into three groups. Now the first group, which is the majority of the babies is that they're really excited that the mother returned. You would start to see that their heart rate and their BP would start to drop down. After a while, after they realized that the mom is back, they actually return to playing with the toys that are in the room. So those people grew up to become secure uh, attachment style adults unless something changes. Now the other two types of babies is um, one type of baby would cry incessantly. Like after seeing the mom return, she's very excited, but she's also very angry, angry at the mother for abandoning her. And so it takes a long time for this baby to finally calm down and resume play. Now the, this type then becomes the anxious preoccupied, right? Not very surprisingly. The third type is really interesting. So the third type is one that becomes a dismissive avoidant. And this type of baby, their heart rate surges, their BP rises, they're freaked out as well. But when the mother returns, this baby does not show anything. This baby does not go out to the mother, does not cry. In fact, the baby just pretends that she didn't, she didn't even see the mother return. But it doesn't mean that the internal world of the baby is not under chaos. This baby is suffering just as much chaos as the previous types of babies. It just doesn't show it. Now, the question is, why would a baby develop this type of style? 
And in fact, recent studies have shown that we could observe the parent's attachment style and predict the baby's attachment style to a very high degree. So attachment style is actually transmitted generationally as well, like a culture. And so that's a very interesting aspect. So why did the baby develop this style? So most often it's due to two different scenarios. So the first one is a very enmeshed environment. So the parents are not behaving like adults. They're overly dependent on the child to provide emotional support. So in a healthy environment, the parents should be the adult in the relationship, taking care of the child's physical and emotional needs. However, there are immature parents where they actually are enmeshed with the kids. So using the kid as inappropriately as a peer, for example, as a confidant, telling the kids that things that they shouldn't be telling the kids, not age appropriate, or heavily relying on the kid to take care of them. So the parent may be depressed or sick, and they put a lot of adult duties on this child. So the child from a very early age felt very enmeshed, had a lot of pressure on their shoulder. So the last thing they want as an adult is to be clinged onto again and to be used this way again. So then they choose to become a dismissive avoidant person. Now the second type is uh, perhaps even more sad. The second type is unfortunately probably the more common scenario, which is this child grew up with parents that were emotionally neglectful or abusive or including other types of abuse such as physical or sexual abuse now what the child gets from that environment is my needs don't matter to them if i show any signs of weakness if i'm sad if i'm angry if i show any emotions that are not deemed okay by my parents i'm going to be punished so i'm just going to hide it I'm not going to show my emotions. I'm not going to reach out. People are not to be trusted. So the, dis the dismissive avoidant formed a worldview that, you know, perhaps there's nothing wrong with me, but they're reacting to me this way because people cannot be trusted. So um, now if you're in a dating scenario world, how can you suss out if your partner is a dismissive avoidant? Now it's, um, a dismissive avoidant will agree to these three questions. So are these three statements, the dismissive avoidant says, I am comfortable without close emotional relationships. This makes sense, right? Cause they grew up having to be ultra independent. They have to take care of themselves. They have to stuff down the emotions. They all also agree with this. It's important to me to feel self-sufficient and independent. And the third thing is I prefer not to depend on others or have other people depend on me. Now, a sign that you might see earlier on in the relationship is that they will indicate their emotional unavailability. So they're fairly easy to get to know in the early stages of a relationship, but once things start to get more serious, you're talking about longer term plans, maybe, commitment, that is like a big no-no for them. You will start to see that they're going to do some distancing strategies and the distancing strategy could be trying to find fault with you. Like, oh, you know, is their way of distancing is to say, you know, you're not very perfect. You're not maybe not good enough for me. So they try to pull themselves away from a relationship or you would see uh, freaking out if, if you try to have any kind of commitment relation, uh, discussions with them. Now, how they 
show up in relationships is that you probably, if you have ever had a relationship with an avoidant, you probably see it. They would keep the relationship very much at a surface level or very shallow. These people oftentimes might just have a friends with benefit situation and they focus more on a sexual intimacy without the emotional closeness. So they can do sexual intimacy, but it feels like if they do the emotional closeness, it will kill them. And then they also run hot and cold with their affection. So they might spend a really nice weekend. You felt like you're finally getting somewhere with them. There's finally some connection. And then immediately after that, they will distance you because they realize they're getting too close to you and they're afraid. So, and then they would also resist vulnerability. So it feels like pulling teeth. So if they're upset at you, they feel sad, they won't tell you, right? They don't want to be vulnerable. And this is especially sad, but when a relationship is going well, just when they really actually are starting to feel for you, feel that closeness to you, they would try to sabotage the, experience, uh, the relationship themselves. Now, you might be curious as to why somebody would sabotage a relationship that's going well. The answer goes back to their working model of relationships. So John Bowlby, who is a pioneer of attachment theory, said that when we think about our relationship to other people in the world, we look at it through two lenses. Think about when you're a child and your interactions with your caretakers. You form an opinion of whether your caretaker is generally a person that is warm, that is emotionally attuned, somebody who is responsive for calls uh, of help, calls of needs, etc. The other aspect is you look at yourself and the child is thinking, if I'm, am I a person that is worth loving? Am I a person whose feeling matters? Am I a person of intrinsic value? So these two aspects, how you look at another person, and then the second aspect, how you look at the self, forms a working model of a person's view of relationships in general. So the dismissive avoidant grew up in an environment, as I mentioned before, that is likely neglectful or even abusive or enmeshed. So their opinions of others, not very surprisingly, is not very high. So they don't think very highly of other people. However, as a preemptive defensive mechanism, they tend to think highly of themselves. So they appear, appear from an affect level. If you look at the outside, they seem confident, they seem independent, they seem self-assured because their internal message is that I don't need anybody, I'm self-sufficient. However, because they grew up in the environment that was not nurturing and supportive, they also carry a very critical inner voice which is constantly telling themselves that they're not good enough. So if you dated an avoidant, you might also recognize that they have a very fragile sense of self. They take criticisms very hard because it kind of reflects back to them what they saw in childhood, which is a child who was ignored by their own parents. And therefore the message that they took in deep into their heart is that to some extent, they will be rejected if they try to reach out that they're not worth loving. So they can be hypersensitive to criticism. So this is one aspect that you might uh, recognize as well. Now, although some of the uh, critical messages are conscious, most of it is unconscious. So I'll read some of the common messages that dismissive avoidance tell themselves. Of course, they're not gonna voice it, but in relationships, especially if they're in a conflict situation. So let's say that 
this avoidant is in a relationship with an anxious, preoccupied person, and they're starting to feel a little bit choked for air. So this is some of the messages that might be playing through their head. It might be, you don't need anybody. Um, don't get too involved with anyone. You'll just be disappointed. Or, you know, men won't commit to a relationship. Women will try to trap you. People will demand too much from you. You have to put up a lot to stay in a relationship. There are more important things in life than romance and love. Or, you know, you have to protect yourself. They're going to hurt you if you let them in. And that uh, finally, a lot of times they would also tell themselves that they're too good for their partner. So then that's when they start to pick on the faults of the partner in order to distance themselves emotionally from the partner. So you can think about this as the Aesop fable where you have the wolf that's really trying to get to the grapes but cannot get to it. So that's where the phrase sour graping comes from. The wolf basically tells himself that, well, you know, the grape is probably sour, is probably not good anyways. I don't want it. So they use putting down their partner internally or expressively as a way to say, I don't really care. I don't really want it. So it's a preemptive strike. Now, the good news is um, out of the general population, 60% of people are securely attached. So statistically, you're more likely to bump into a securely attached person. However, if you are re-entering the dating pool at an older age, you will see an increasing number of people in the dating pool that are insecurely attached. And it's roughly split half-half between uh, anxious preoccupied and uh, dismissive avoidance. So you got to be even wiser in selecting your partner as you uh, are older and re-entering the dating field. Now, if you happen to be somebody who is anxiously preoccupied, my advice is that to the extent you can choose somebody who is secure to be with instead of somebody who's um, dismissive avoidant. Unfortunately, this pairing between anxious, preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant, which I would call the worst pairing possible, is very common because both sides kind of lock in as a lock and a key or a hand and a glove. One is a chaser and one is a runner, right? You got to have a uh, chaser in order to run and you got to have a runner to chase. So the two are kind of in, locked in this dynamic of the wounded soul. And what happens is that the more the anxious person tries to get close, the more the avoidant runs and it exacerbates both of their anxiety and makes the situation worse. So for both parties, they're better off dating somebody or being with somebody who is securely attached so that they can change your working model by observing what healthy looks like. So the human mind works this way. As we were growing up, we start to form a model of the world based on our early interactions with our caretakers. So that's why the majority of people, their attachment styles do not change. So 70% of people that were secure babies, they continue to be secure. If they're insecure, they continue to be insecure. However, the good news is 30% of people do change. I guess you could also change on the wrong side. So going from secure to insecure, and that happens. But some insecure people also change to become secure. And that happens because as you grow older, you also have influences from your teachers, from your peers, from your classmates, from your coworkers, from your friends. And if these relationships are healthy and mutually giving, then that 
forces your brain to say, well, you know, wait a moment. Not everybody is going to be unresponsive to my needs. There are people that I could trust that do care about me, who do genuinely love and accept me. So then they start to expand their model and change their model. In fact, a person could have different working models for different types of relationships. So this person may behave insecurely in intimate partner relationships because they have not had good models watching, you know, bad abusive models of their own parents, as well as had multiple abusive relationships in their adulthood. However, they've always had very warm relationships with their peers, with their mentors, with their classmates. So they have a different model for those type of relationships. So working models are also dependent on the type of relationships. And even finer grain is that within each grouping, so whether it's friends or intimate partners, you could also behave differently in different specific relationships. That's why even a typically anxiously attached person, if they're dating another person who's even more anxiously attached, you will start seeing this person actually start to exhibit a bit of an avoidant tendency as well. It's just natural that if we're with a person who's really clingy, then we kind of want to retract a little bit. So the relationship dynamic is a very fluid thing. I hope you find today's discussion helpful. In the next episode, um, which I will push out fairly quickly, is how do you work with a dismissive avoidant partner if you're already in that relationship? So as I mentioned, if you're not yet in one or if you're not in too deep, I would highly recommend that you try to find somebody who is securely attached, no matter what your attachment style is. But especially if you're anxiously preoccupied, you will be much better off finding somebody who is secure. So then the question though is, if you're already in a relationship, you're already in love with somebody who is a dismissive avoidant person, or if you're in a committed relationship with a dismissive avoidant person, how do you start to forge that connection with the dismissive avoidant. There is a lot of misunderstanding of dismissive avoidance. A lot of times people write them off as, oh, they are bad people or they're narcissistic people. And none of these are true. These are definitely just blanket statements. I hope that you find the background information helpful because as I mentioned, you really have to come from a place of empathetic and understanding to see, okay, this person is behaving this way. And it's not necessarily personal to me, but it has a lot to do with how they grew up. If you find this type of conversation helpful, I invite you to join me in the women's only coaching program. We do a lot of discussions about relationships. How do you communicate with people? How do you understand yourself better? Because at the end of the day, I firmly believe that the quality of your life hinges on the quality of your relationship. And when we didn't grow up with parents that model good behavior and good thinking patterns, it's very easy to pick that up and just, you know, run the script through our lives. And it's not very surprising why many survivors end up in abusive relationships. And that's something that I don't want for you. And if you're in one, I want to help you get out. So if you find this conversation helpful, I invite you to join me in the membership program. We also have regular digital courses that I will start pushing out that would give you very prescriptive information as well as exercises so that you could do at home and make it real. I think that's the difference between just going to therapy versus actually making a practice out of changing how you think, changing your 
using neuroplasticity to grow and change how you behave and how you respond to life situations. If you like information like this, please also subscribe and leave me a comment. I read every single comment. And in fact, today's episode is driven by a question that a viewer asked in a previous episode. Until next time, I hope you well.